podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Uh, somewhere between very tired and very confused as to what on earth happened yesterday. Yes, yes. I I don't even know where to start, but let's start with the boring game from yesterday. Croatian nil, Belgium nil. Belgium go out, Croatia fall to second in the group. And if Romelu Lukaku was proper into Milan, Romelu Lukaku, and not whatever it is he becomes when he plays or is owned by an English club, uh, Croatia would be going out and Belgium would have snuck through. He missed, by my count, four big chances, two of which were pretty much open goals. Yeah, four chances from a combined six yards, I think it must have been. It was... Quite astonishing, and um, the amount of excuses which were going on after that in terms of, oh, I didn't expect it, and oh, I thought the defender was going to clear it, and oh, this, and oh, my God. He was the most extreme example, but representative of that entire team. Belgium, so, so bad. Get them gone. I'm delighted that they're out because they've shown absolutely nothing. Mm. Uh, the movement and the lack of energy and the lack of anticipation or anybody trying anything at all up until that last 10 minutes was just shocking. It was so, so bad. I, I would have had no sympathy whatsoever for Croatia if they'd have gone out because it's such a ridiculously risky game that they did not need to play, um, trying to obviously see out the draw, which would get them through. But had Lukaku taken any one of them, they would have been out. You're right. Um, Lukaku, I mean, it's just such a massive lack of anticipation. I don't know whether it's the fact that he hasn't played very much this season or part of the greater malaise of the Belgian squad, let's say, to put it nicely. Um, just rubbish, pure, pure rubbish. I thought they were probably worse than Denmark because you do know that there are players in that Belgian mm. side who are of a genuinely top-level calibre. Um, but no, I think... it. It spoke volumes, not just as to the, the changes in the starting lineup, which was obviously the first eye-opener, but also then the fact that uh, national team captain Eden Hazard isn't called on until the last 10 minutes of desperation. The striker actually started the first game for them and scored in that game was not called upon at all. It's just such a muddle. It's just, it was all over the place. It's no surprise, obviously, Madden, as I said, he's leaving. Um I, get, I, I wouldn't have had sympathy for Croatia because of the way they played, but I am absolutely zero for the for Belgium overall for going home early. They were atrocious this tournament. No, I have no sympathy for Belgium at all. I do have a bit for Lukaku because the guy has barely kicked a ball since May and obviously had a rough season last season. He never wanted to leave Inter Milan in the first place, 
And he was at his apex at Inter Milan under Antonio Conte. The move to Chelsea started this downward spiral. He's clearly quite a bit heavier now than he was when he was at Inter. He looks like he did when he was at Manchester United. And that was probably the worst version of him. I would have had no sympathy for Croatia because I'm never going to have sympathy for the pebble. If if Lukaku had scored one of those chances, it would have just been an excuse for me to come on this podcast and, and rant incessantly about the pebble and how he single-handedly caused his side a spot in the knockout stages. But there's still time. There's still time for Dejan to help me with my agenda there. Um, just just before we move on, we might as well mention his centre-back partner who actually made the tackle of the group stage. Oh, Gvardiol was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. that last, last challenge there was like proper goal-scoring worthy. That was brilliant. Mm. Yeah, and he's he's been really good through this group stage. I think the most devastated group after this will not actually be the Belgian uh, fans. I think it will be the Eden Hazard fanboys, most of whom are Chelsea fans, because now their agenda for him, their their prop for him must stop. The defining game of their World Cup campaign, he is left out of the team and doesn't come on till 87 minutes have been played, so he gets three minutes in stoppage time. It says quite a bit. Now, like you said, Martinez has has resigned, but I think it's very much a case of he's resigned before they fired him. There was not a chance he was getting to manage another game with this national team. So he's gone, they're gone, and good riddance to a lot of them. In the other game in that group, which I thought was quite an enjoyable game, Morocco beat Canada 2-1. Morocco went ahead through Hakim Ziyech. Yusuf Nezri scored on 23 minutes to make it 2-0. And Naif Agard, own goal on 40, got Canada back into it. Canada spent most of the second half trying to break down what is a very resolute Moroccan defence. Came really, really close with Natiba Hutchinson header that... I was really hoping would go in so he would have his World Cup moment. It wouldn't have made any difference to to Canada, but obviously would have changed the landscape of the group because Morocco would then have finished second. Uh, once again, I, I have to comment on the fact that number four for Canada, Miller, he's the slowest centre pack I think I've ever seen. And he just looks ridiculous when he sprints. When N. Naziri, who's not exactly quick, Latched on to that chance for the second goal. Miller just, it was just like comedy stuff watching him trying to get back into position. In every game, he has made a positional error that have caused, has caused Canada a goal. There's an element of lumbering about his run style, I feel. Um, Canada kind of played the same game as they have all the time. You know, good in parts offensively, not too clever in parts defensively you can see again the naivety that we spoke about but you can also see that there's a lot of talent there um there was a couple of moments even i think uh it was first half carl laram one break down the right hand side really good low cross which i think it was kind of maybe on the end of it should have gone with his left foot went with his right mm. that things could have gone very very differently in that game just as could have been in in the belgium game 
Um, I, I think Canada are hard done by to finish on zero points in the end, given their performances. And again, yeah. relative to other nations that we've seen at the World Cup who do have a point or a win or a, along the way. But ultimately, that is obviously part of the, the learning curve and coming here for the first time and the fact that they couldn't finish anything. Um, but Morocco, I think, nothing but enormous praise. I mean, the only goal they've conceded in the group stage was a deflected own goal. And yeah, there was a couple of close calls, but they've also overcome a hell of a lot to actually even be putting together a team. I mean, when you consider the discord that we've spoken about in the in the Belgian squad, this group is not a new team because they've obviously been playing together for a while, but a new manager in place only, what, two, three months before the World Cup started. Yeah. The cohesion that they have, the tactical understanding that they have, the ability to stick to their own plan that they have, the confidence that they have in certain patterns of play and build up through specific players, really, really, really good. Um, first time since, I can't remember if it was 86, that they've uh, reached the knockout stage. And also more widely significant, I think, is first time an African nation has topped a World Cup group since 1998. So that just shows the scale of what they've achieved here, let alone the fact that they've won two matches at a World Cup for the first time mm. to do it and obviously finished above two European sides as well. Yeah, and I think for me, they have been defensively probably the best team in the competition so far. There's been a shortage of good defending. I think they're one team that has defended very, very well. Canada go out with no points, but I think it's fair to say that through their three games they performed better than Belgium, who Not got better. you know, who got four points. So there's no embarrassment for Canada here. They've done they've done really well in their games. It's just that individual moments and individual lack of quality in certain areas has caused them. They've now got four years to rectify those areas. And maybe, just maybe, the manager should keep his mouth shut before games against, you know, really good teams. Maybe that's something he can learn from this competition. Uh, moving on then, we will have in the quarterfinal, uh, the round of 16 rather, Morocco and Croatia. Like you said, Morocco topping the group is great. Um, their reward for topping their group will be a game with Spain. So Spain lose 2-1 to Japan. They go ahead on 11 minutes through Alvaro Morata. And then, almost as if it's a recreation of Japan's opening game, Japan come back, score two quick goals in the second half. Uh, Ritsu Doan, who scored in the first game, and Tanaka to put them 2-1 up. And there was some controversy, obviously, over the second goal, but replays show it was just, just about kept in play. Japan 2, Spain 1, Carl. Surprised? Uh, yes and no. Um, I mean, ultimately, not at all in the way that I expected in terms of which games led to which results. But Japan threw um, and Spain threw, uh, obviously, the two that I picked pre-tournament. I'm honestly not sure whether I actually am allowed to claim any credit for this now whatsoever, because um, apart from getting the, the order of them wrong, Japan lost the one game which I thought that they would definitely win, 
and then beat both of the ones that I thought they might win one of and lose the other one. So this has been the weirdest, maddest group of all, obviously. Um, the, the finish of it, the timeline of it between the two games played simultaneously was just crazy. Um, but the things I was not surprised at, at this game, one, Japan, when they fell behind, didn't change approach at all. They carried on playing the way they play. The build-up was, as you'd expect, it was, it was pretty consistent throughout. Um, their mentality didn't drop at all. All of the really good stuff about Japan was on show in this game, just as it was not in, on show against Costa Rica. Like if they'd have played like this against Costa Rica, Japan have nine points. That's mm. the simple matter. They they did not really, I think, uh, know how to play maybe while the the bigger team or the better team or the team with more expectation on them, let's say. So that that's obviously something for them still to to progress and learn with. But in this game, exactly what you would want from them. I think Spain obviously were fairly below par in quite a few uh, areas of the pitch. Unai Simon, again, has, has demonstrated why they still have a big issue there to solving goal. I think he's good, but he's not elite, and he's certainly not yet at the level where you would really want him to be um, a national team first choice by a clear margin, because the other two on the bench are very, very distant from him. And personally, I don't think international calibre in the slightest anyway, but Same. that's not that's neither here nor there, is it? But you can see that you know Spain didn't need to do too much, but on the other hand, as we saw, there was a point when they weren't going through either. So I do wonder whether that had filtered through a little bit quicker to the team if we would have seen a really good response from them or whether it would have been very difficult for them to change the tempo or the approach of their game. Um, it was kind of that, that danger was over almost before it began sort of thing. So I'm not sure whether they actually pass that on to the players in the end or not, but it would have been a very interesting scenario to see play out for, you know, 20 minutes or so. Yeah, it very much would have been. Now, Spain had 83% of the ball in this game, but they didn't really create much of anything. They were very underwhelming, and they've been underwhelming for me. I mean, they obviously hammered Costa Rica in the first game. We wondered afterwards, had they just scored all their goals in one game? And, you know, they get one against Germany, and then they throw away that lead. They get one against Japan, and they throw away that lead and end up losing the game. I think they're quite fortunate to be going through, to be honest. I, I, I'm not impressed by this Spanish team. I think there's an issue in goal. There's an issue at both fullback spots. Not impressed by what they've got there. Rodri is doing okay at centre-back, but he's not a centre-back. He's a significantly better holding midfielder than Sergio Busquets is at this point in his career. And when the game starts to go against Spain, Busquets becomes an issue, especially considering both Gavi and Pedri, as great as they are on the ball, are quite suspect off the ball. And then there's an issue up front because they don't have consistent, reliable goal scorers. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Spain's World Cup journey comes to an end against Morocco. I mean, it's possible. Um, you know, Spain do have elite players who can really turn it on when it matters. That's that's absolutely true. We'll have to bear that in mind. But I think um, as much as we've already seen a few games at this World Cup where there's been, uh, shall we say, off-pitch or political uh, battles to be fought as well. Morocco-Spain's another one. Very, very historic sort of fixture there. And 
I'm not saying it'll absolutely play into either set of players' minds, but it'll certainly affect the build-up or it'll be dominant in the build-up in certain parts of those two countries. Um, defensively, like we said, Morocco have been one of the best at the tournament. So I think a lot will depend on how both defensive midfielders play on either one of those teams because Busquets really good on the ball all through this World Cup. But as soon as teams try to play around and flood past him in numbers, he hasn't really offered much of anything yet. Uh, no. Whereas Sofian Amrabat is probably a little bit the reverse on the ball. He's been he's been okay. I wouldn't say he's been special, but his defensive work is covering from the fullbacks who push forward. His ball winning ability, his athleticism. I don't really see too many holding midfielders who have been better than him uh, in terms of the actual job of protecting the defence. No, exactly the same. Uh, interesting note. In six games at major competition under Luis Enrique. Spain have only managed to win two of them within the regulation 90 minutes. Now, the two they won, they won by seven and by five. But they really have struggled to win games at major tournaments under this coach. And obviously, the knockout phases come with extra time and penalties. But, you know, I I don't necessarily know that I'd back them to beat Morocco on penalties. There's a couple of really good penalty takers in that Moroccan team. And Morocco are, are going to be really hard to break down. Um, Mexico will take on Croatia. And I think that's a game that suits Mexico because, or sorry, not Mexico, Japan will take on Croatia. I think it's a game that suits the Japanese because what Japan want is they want the opposition to have most of the ball and they want to cut them apart on counterattacks. I think that Croatian defense can be cut apart on counterattacks. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we get a shock in that one as well. What an amazing moment for Japan, though, to top a group with Spain and Germany, having beaten both of them, two of the last three World Cup winners. That is fantastic. In the other game, it finishes Costa Rica 2, Germany 4. Nabry scores to put the Germans ahead. <laughs> Tejeda scores to equalise. There's a Manuel Nauer own goal on 70. And Carl, for three beautiful minutes that can never be taken away from us, it looked like Germany and Spain were going out and Costa Rica were going through. It was the best three moments of this World Cup so far. But Kai Havertz, who's done fuck all for a year, two years, in fact, when did he score his Champions League winning goal 18 months ago? He's done nothing since. He steps up. He equalises. Then he puts the Germans ahead. Nicholas Fulcrug coming off the bench makes it 4-2. The Germans go home with at least a little bit of pride restored, having won a game. But in the end, it was all for nothing. And they go out along with Costa Rica. If the Germans had any fucking decency about them, they'd have just lost that game. (laughs) <laughs> once they re- once they realised what was happening in the other one and that they couldn't get through, with Japan winning, there was no path to go through for them. But they couldn't even find the decency to just let Costa Rica knock out Spain. They could have you know, got together with Spain, shared the cost of a plane back to Europe, but no, no decency from the Germans. No, I mean, uh, you say leave with the heads held high or whatever after one win. That's definitely not how the... Uh... 
national press have been seeing it. Um, how embarrassing has been the general theme of the headlines in Germany this morning. Uh, it's not something they're used to. Obviously, they're, they're, they've always been a national team, which tournament after tournament after tournament, it was like semi-final at the very least, and often better than that, even if they didn't go into it uh, in better shape. But uh, I've said from pre-tournament, there are too many doubts over this Germany side. There are too many parts of the team which are not working very well. They haven't in attack got... I don't think they've actually sorted out one position up until this game where they, they can be confident and happy about playing it on a regular basis. Now, Jamal Musiala played centrally this time. He hadn't been before. He'd been shoehorned in on one side or the other just to get him in the team because they were still intent on sticking with the older players, the more experienced players, the players who have been part of this side for a long, long time, like Moore and a few of the other ones. Um, mm. He was the best player on the park again last night. He was the best player on the park in at least one of their other games where the rest of the players were poor in this game where the players could be better on the ball. He was even more uh, distance between them, him, the best player on the park, I thought. Uh, it was worrying, I think, that Germany, after quite a long build-up now with, with Flick in charge, have still not been able to sort out the attack. And you did mention Timo uh, Werner's absence, which hampers one part of it, but still not enough to, to justify the fact that they've looked quite lost, quite stodgy, quite predictable in the build-up play. Too many very good players underperforming because they're not playing an exact role, which you know, brings out the best of them. Um, but again, it's taken three games and desperation, basically, for Kimmich to go back in at right-back after just a roulette for who plays there half after half for the rest of the time. Yeah, All of these things are just way, way, way too much of a red flag for, for Germany to be considered anything at this moment in time. That's why had no confidence in them going through at all, to be honest. Um, I, I am not surprised in the slightest that they've gone out. I am a little bit surprised that they had that mid-game slump, let's say, because for about 20 minutes, they were really ragged. Like They were winning and terrible. They couldn't control the ball. They couldn't keep it between them. The possession was really poor. The defensive line was rubbish, and they conceded two goals then. And... Uh, in fairness, it was a good response, but like you say, too little, too late. I'm not sure how Nicolas Sula has managed to start all three games. I think he's been atrocious. I'm not sure how Rudiger has. I think Rudiger's been garbage as well. Yeah. I don't, under, I don't understand why he brought Adiemi or Makoko. They didn't see a minute of action. Not one minute of action. Makoko came on first game, didn't he? Did he? I don't I think, think he, he did. came on as a... I thought he came on the sub in the first half. Let's see. Uh, he came on in stoppage time the first game. Oh, brilliant! So he got a bit. Of, yeah, he got garbage time yeah. when they were chasing he, he, the well, game and that, lumping that was the first. The that was the first round of games, so it was probably like 17 minutes of injury time he got. But oh, he did. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> but still, like, I mean, why why bring these players and not yeah. play them? Bella Kotchup sitting on the bench yeah. the whole time. Nico Schlotterberg. Yeah, he got eight minutes of stoppage time. Eight minutes in the whole tournament when they were just lumping balls aimlessly into into the box. The guy's five eight. What are you going to accomplish with that? Um, no, very disappointed in Hansi Flake. I think he's at a stinker of a tournament. Uh, moving on then. Today, four games. The early games to me are quite interesting. South Korea play Portugal. 
Now, South Korea need to win and hope that the other game ends in a draw. Do you think South Korea can beat Portugal today? Are we expecting a full-strength Portugal, given that they are through? Yeah, that's the thing. I think Portugal will probably swap at least a few places around. I mean, you consider the age of some of those players, I think, is a a relevant factor. Um, There are plenty of players in the squad who I think are almost of the same level or indeed better than the starters in some cases. But basically, the fact that they are through, um, I think, will... And that they only actually need a point to be guaranteed of top in the group. And even if they don't get a point, they probably will still top the group, I would imagine. Um, I think it's I think it's relatively safe to say Portugal will rotate. Yeah, hopefully so. And hopefully we get to see, you know, more of Rafael Leao, maybe more of, of Ramos. And um, we get to see what this Portugal squad can can do in the absence of, of um, Cristiano. Big game for South Korea, though. They've had a disappointing World Cup thus far. They will want this win. Even if it, even if they don't go through, I think they'll want this win just for a matter of pride. I think seeing Japan top their group will be both a source of inspiration and a little bit of a sore point for them because obviously there's, there's quite the rivalry there in, in, from both a football and political uh, side. The other game, though, this one I think is is the game of the day. I think Ghana versus Uruguay. We ha- Uruguay have to go and play. They have to go and play in this game. They cannot do the same shit they've done in the last two games. They cannot be as cowardly. If they are, Diego Alonso needs to resign immediately after the game like Martinez because I think he has had an absolute stinker in this group stage as well. I think he's hamstrung his own team. He's stuck with players that like Vicino who shouldn't be in the team who clearly is offering nothing on or off the ball. There is a good team in that Uruguay squad, and he has got to unleash it today. Because if he doesn't, then he is he is ending the international careers of the greatest group of players in Uruguay's history since the 1950s on an absolute whimper. Yeah, and I don't really understand it, to be honest, because in qualifying, he let them off the leash. They had to win games, and he basically got them to attack and he used the attacking talents that they have and people like Bentancur and Belbera, they were allowed to push on so much more than they have done at the World Cup. So I don't really get the approach behind what they've tried to do here, whether it's, you know, to try and manage their way through the first couple of group games or whatever, but it didn't work in the slightest. They haven't scored a goal yet. So handbrake off time. You've got to go all out. You've got attacking talents in that second line. Let them attack. Um, the power that they have, the athleticism that they have, they should be they should be trying to outgun teams, not battle their way to, you know, punch ups and nil nils and whatever else. It's been really, really disappointing from them. And like you say, they have to come out and have a big, big game today. Big problem that they're gonna have is one, Ghana are best set up to counterattack teams. Two, maybe not these group of players, they've been quite playing it down, but the rest of Ghana still hates Uruguay for Suarez. Uh Journalists were making that very apparent in the pre-match press conference. Suarez obviously is entirely unaffected by all of this and doesn't really give a shit either way. But it's still notable that one of the biggest um, support bases that has been, or the loudest, I should say, support bases in the World Cup has been for Ghana. You can Mm. guarantee that they are going to be noisy as hell for this game. Um, It'll be a really, really difficult game, to be honest. I mean, I don't think 
even if Uruguay do come out with the intent to attack, I don't think we've seen enough from them so far to just suggest that they'll play well. This is going to be a grind for them. Yeah. I mean, look, Suarez is right. He didn't miss the penalty. He got sent off. They got a penalty. He didn't deny them their chance to go through. Asamoah Gian is the one they should have an issue with. Like, any player who wouldn't do what Suarez did is not a player you want you, you want in your team. Every player should do what Suarez did. Every single player should do what Suarez did. Asamoah Gian is the one they should have an issue with. He's the one that missed the penalty. And then they had, like, remember, the game didn't end there. They had the chance to go and win it an extra time playing against 10 men. They had penalties. Yeah, it was like the last minute of extra time, wasn't it? But the last minute of the 90. I think it was extra time. But um, either way, they still had the penalty itself and then another shootout afterwards and <laughs> didn't do the job. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, they bottled it. Nobody else bottled it. It was the, it was the, themselves. It was their own fault. So, you know, you want to blame someone? Go and blame Asamoah Gyan. Uh, right. Moving on then to the later games. Um, Cameroon versus Brazil. We'll start with that one. Brazil are top. Cameroon can get through, but they need a win. And they need the result in the other game to end in a draw. I would expect that Brazil will rotate. Mm. But I, I don't see enough in this Cameroon team to beat Brazil. I, I haven't been overly impressed by Brazil. I think there's question marks over the defence and the attack. Like, they've had a, a lot of shots in both games. But they're not creating big chances. They've only created three good chances in the tournament so far. I still think they beat Cameroon today, though. Yeah, so do I. I mean, Cameroon should be, you know, the same as they have been in the other games, pretty good on the counter-attack. There'll be a bit of a threat there, but ultimately lacking in quality, to be honest, especially in defence. Um, quite keen to see a couple of the players play again. I think Anguisa needs to have a bit of a rebound game. I think Mbomo has been really good for them. Uh, I think Kunde was excellent in the last game, so looking forward to see him again. But basically, Cameroon as a team are two levels below the Brazil second string, let's be honest. Most of them are still either Champions League playing or Champions League quality if they went to different teams. So it shouldn't really be much of anything as long as Brazil are you know, motivated and um, clinical anyway, which they haven't been so far as much as they could be, I don't think. But given that it should be a rotated team, you'd imagine they will be motivated because they want to earn themselves a spot in the team on a more regular basis. So it doesn't always work out that way and it can be quite lacking cohesion like France showed when you put 17 players out of position and all the rest of it. But I think Brazil's setup is a lot more steady than France's changed around system was. Mm. Uh, the players who are going to come in have been quite heavily involved, I would say. If you, you know, People like Bruno Gomes should probably come in Danny Alves obviously doesn't need any adaptation whatsoever. Tellers will probably come in. Martinelli's going to play the role he's used to playing. Jesus will play the role that he's used to playing. We may even see a Fabinho, which will be interesting from obviously Liverpool's perspective to see how he is after what would have been now three weeks since his last game or something like that. Are we going to see him on the pitch? Are we going to see any? He doesn't kind of normally do well like after that? he's had a few weeks off. He doesn't, you know, when he comes back from injury, he's normally a, a little bit of a 
what did you call that team the other day? A bit ploddy or something like ploddy, that. Yeah. So, yeah, so he can be a bit like that after after injury. So we'll see how that goes. But again, still interesting to see what it's like. Um, but I, I think, like we said, Brazil have the quality here. I think they'll still have a couple of players maybe from the, the normal lineup in the team. So uh, I'd still go for a, a relatively routine victory. The other game then um, is Serbia versus Switzerland. Serbia, for me, right in the same bucket as Uruguay, as Belgium and as Germany. Huge, and as Denmark, hugely disappointing thus far. Thought their approach against Brazil was was quite cowardly. And they, the, the, the most brainless act of this World Cup was Serbia 3-1 up against Cameroon, deciding to defend the halfway line, conceding a goal, and then deciding to do the exact same thing again. They've got to win this game to go through. Switzerland know that a point probably takes them through. So I'm expecting the Swiss to just bed in and look to hit them on the counter. But Serbia have got to turn up today. Yeah, big time. I think there's more chance of Serbia getting the win than Uruguay getting the win in the other group. But it is a very similar scenario, obviously, a very similar um, disappointment in terms of what they're capable of. I think Serbia will win this, but a lot has to change in terms of the mentality of the team. I mean, it was you know a bad decision tactically to try and do what they did against Cameroon, certainly the second time, if not the first time, but even then it had already happened. But really, I think the bigger problem for Serbia at that time, as I said in the in the podcast after that match, was the fact the midfield and the forwards basically thought, well, this is a walk in the park now and we're all going to try and get on the score sheet and we're all going to do the flicks and the tricks. And it wasn't a professional performance. This was like the complete opposite of what you would see in a boring League Cup fourth round match when a Premier League team wins 2-0 against a, a championship side. It was the complete opposite of that. It mm. was very, very, quite disrespectful, actually, um, the way the Serbia players approached that sort of 20-minute period, to be honest, and they got what they deserved for doing that, basically. But I do think that they will have the fortitude of character, let's say, to go out Switzerland and be a bit more disciplined about things if they do take the lead this time. Um, it'll be a tight one, I think, but I think there could also be a bit of madness once the first goal goes in. So personally, I'm hoping that comes early. Yeah, with a bit of luck. With a bit of luck, there's an early goal in this game and we get a bit of fireworks. Uh, let's just do predictions and get done for today. Um, Portugal versus South Korea. 1-1. One, one. I think Portugal win 2-1. I'll go 2-1. Ghana versus Uruguay. 2-2. Two, two. I have to back Fetty and I have to back Darwin. I'm going to go... I'm going to go 2-1 again. I'll look foolish because I just I think Uruguay will mess it up, but I'm going to go for Uruguay to win. Uh, Brazil versus Switzerland. No, Brazil, Cameroon. Brazil versus Cameroon, in fact. 2-0 <laughs> um, Brazil. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'll go the same. And then Serbia versus Switzerland. 4-3 to Serbia. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Give me some of that. Uh, <laughs> that'll be Serbia having gone 4-0 up and yeah. continually defending the halfway line <laughs> and Haris Seferovic 
rampaging his way into a World Cup hat-trick. Um, can, we, can we just take a moment there to, uh, you can give us a rundown of Harris Seferovic's performance because you were full of it before the Brazil match. And he did indeed come on, didn't he? He came on. Oh, he did. <laughs> he came on for the final 20 minutes, was it, or something like that? So give us a rundown of how Harris Seferovic played off the bench against Brazil. <sighs> Do you ever see a picture of a drunk person walking up to a, a, a wall of glass that has a door in it? And not realizing which pane is the door, and just <laughs> repeatedly walking into the class. Uh, it wasn't good, Carl. It, yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't astonishing. I, I, I've got a couple of numbers for you from his, well, including injury time, would have been just over 20 minutes uh, on the pitch. Four touches, uh, two completed passes. That's it, we're done. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, no, no, it wasn't good at all. It wasn't good. It hasn't been It hasn't been a good World Cup for our boy Harris. Um, hopefully it is the last World Cup for our boy Harris. Um, he, he wasn't exactly wonderful when he came off the bench against Cameroon either. Um, yeah, yeah. Right, that'll do. What have you got for the good people today? A lovely ode to Morocco's success. Good stuff. That'll be one to get your teeth into. Check out Carl's work on The Independent. Follow him on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle. And just don't be arsed. Follow me. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.